Hello and welcome to Warehouse 69, the Fediverse's finest Warehouse 13 Watch podcast. I'm the internet's beloved Princess Grace, and with me as always is Timmy. How you doing, Timmy? I'm great today. How are you, Grace? Well, let me tell you, I'm doing pretty good because it means we get to talk about Season 2, Episode 5, 13.1, directed by Chris Fisher, written by Ian Stokes, originally aired August 3rd, 2010. This is an episode I was really looking forward to because uh, when I was off work for a bit at the uh, start of the pandemic lockdown, I started re-watching these shows and like Eureka and Warehouse 13 are shows that I watched when they were airing like brand new. And so I picked both of them back up and started watching back again. And that's really the big inspiration for this podcast to even exist, is just, you know. I started watching Warehouse 13 and thought it would be really fun to spend some time talking about it. And you know what? So far it has. It's been fun talking about this. And today we get our Eureka crossover episode, where we meet a uh, Dr. Douglas Fargo, the uh, head of Global Dynamics. Which is not a sentence I really have all that much context for, but I'm led to believe you do, and... Because <laughs> the show doesn't really... The the two, ep- you know, what I know about Warehouse 13 and the one episode of Eureka I watched, what's a global dynamics? I don't know. No one has ever explained it to me. They're mostly a weapons manufacturer. <laughs> they mostly do horrible, horrible things. Well, sure. I Like, are they the ones running Eureka? Is he the... CEO of Eureka? Yeah. Yeah, he's not technically the mayor of the town, but the head of GD has a lot more power than the mayor of the town has. That makes sense. And Yeah, so they're a vaguely governmental science institute uh, that gets their funding from primarily the Department of Defense. A recurring theme is scientists being like, Oh, I don't want to make missiles, but, like, how am I going to get funding to make super plants if I don't help them make missiles? <laughs> like, there's a whole lot of hand-wringing about, uh, about science being used for the national defense. <laughs> yeah, which makes sense. I wouldn't want to be a defense contractor either. Right. I wouldn't want to like... work for Super Science Raytheon. Yeah, to some extent, this is kind of like they're deluding themselves because, like, the only thing that gets you ahead is the weapons stuff. So, like, if you just show up and you want to play with plants all day, you better find a way to weaponize those goddamn plants. Yeah, it's, um, you ever watch Better Off Ted? I have not. It's pretty good. It's, uh,. I believe an ABC sitcom that, um, which took place at Viridian Dynamics and a common, the show was very much about how, like, corporations and capitalism are bad and so on. And a common thing they would do was in order to make it play for laughs, how terrible this company is, is, you know, Ted, who's the manager of some R&D area, part of the company. Would you know he and his team would be working on something good or beneficial, and then 
oh, you know, and then the company would either demand he find a way to weaponize it or just go ahead and weaponize it and turn it into okay. something horrifying. Yeah, so just for the viewer who's not familiar with the concept of Eureka, uh, or the podcast for, co-host, for that matter. Yeah, right. Yeah, since you, you've only seen the uh, one episode we decided we were going to watch to do this. So, the format for Eureka is centered around the sheriff of the town. And it's mostly centered around the sheriff of the town because it's very convenient expositionally. Because the sheriff of the town is a bumbling idiot in a town full of super geniuses. So they throw word salad at him, and he says, you're just making that up. And then another character, who presumably doesn't know anything about this beforehand, uh, goes, no, it makes perfect sense. It's like if you... And then they give him a uh, a simple explanation of it. Yeah. Like putting so too much like, air in a balloon. Right. Yeah, so like we follow around the sheriff of this town dealing with the sort of weird shit that happens in a town full of mad scientists, essentially. And you know, Except I, they're not generally very mad. Yeah, like I, I have a soft spot for mad scientists, but you know, they're they work out at the library, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, let me grab my notes. We open on the episode with a recap, uh, mm -hmm. mostly just of Claudia knowing Todd and hanging out with Todd. And then the recap's over, and they're just, like, making out on Lena's couch. Yeah. On, oh, yeah, on Lena's couch? That makes sense. At the I mean, bed. it's in the bed and breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if Lena owns the bed and breakfast, but it's it's at least the cover story there. Yeah, isn't her name on the sign? I mean, it's Lena's bed and breakfast. I don't know if it says so on the sign, but it definitely is hers. Yeah. If nothing but it else, also she's... might be some sort of, uh, you know, artifact that fell out of time or something. Who knows? Yeah, it's probably the warehouse's bed and breakfast, but Lena's the one who's always there and in charge of it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, Claudia states that she's so excited her lips can't focus because it's upgrade time. Yeah. The warehouse is finally getting a computer upgrade. Yeah, the first ones... <laughs> yeah, until now they've been running on a quote, first-gen 8-bit GUI since the Stone Ages. Right. And uh, Todd is very concerned that this girl he's seeing is far more interested in computer upgrades at the IRS warehouse he thinks she works at yeah. <laughs> than him who's right in front of her, I kissing her. I mean, if I were Claudia, I would also be interested in more things. Most things more than Todd, but um, yeah. And you know, we, we learned that Todd doesn't have a head for all this computer stuff. Um, you can give him a pass on this one because th what she said doesn't really mean anything, but, um, it almost makes sense, but it's, right. <laughs> it's kind of a, it's kind of nonsense words. Uh, and because I apparently took it on myself to document this, Claudia has a teal streak in her hair in this episode. 
Right. Yeah. I uh, I actually note in the notes on every episode what color streak Claudia's <laughs> is, mostly because I want to know if you know. Yes. I I I also <laughs> make a point to write it down. I also did it for the Eureka episode. <laughs> uh, I have a theory, which which is that she only has the pink streak when she's doing crimes or if she's in hot water with the warehouse. I have been confirmed. Right. Which is, makes sense. Yeah, which has happened twice. I don't know if it's like I'm making stuff up or if that's something they intended. Who knows? I'm pretty sure it's I mean, just a hair extension they clip in before each episode, before they film. Yeah, probably. So, uh, yeah, Todd claims that his uh, computer skills extend to putting new ringtones on his cell phone. Which is just which a, is... a 2010-ass thing to say. Oh, so extremely a 2010-ass thing to say. <sighs> I can totally imagine them cutting to commercial and the commercial being some variant of the crazy frog ones oh, yeah. telling you to text to get this ringtone. God, I remember that. It used to be for... I don't know who I'm tell explaining this to, because I assume if you're young enough to remember having to go through some rigmarole <laughs> to put ringtones on yourself, because you used to have to buy them. I remember, like, it was a special day when I got permission to buy a ringtone for my cell phone. Yeah, I never got permission to buy a ringtone for my cell phone. So the hottest shit was when I got a cell phone that you could record a ringtone. Yeah, into. I remember that. That ruled. <laughs> and like nowadays, like, like uh, I used to be so great, like going down like your contacts list, assigning a a custom ringtone to everyone. Nowadays, right. <laughs> I I get phone calls from like maybe from my parents, and that's it. And yeah, you could set arbitrary MP3s as your ringtone, but again, nobody calls me. Right. Now, mind, in 2010, I could set arbitrary MP3s as my ringtone, because mm -hmm. I was using a Nokia N900. Ooh, so, a Windows, was that a Windows phone? It was running MAMO, oh. <laughs> which was just Debian Linux. Like... It's bizarre how good that phone was. I can't believe smartphones are so bad right now. Yeah, I can see that. Like, it was just running like a reskinned version of desktop Firefox. So you could watch YouTube videos in the web browser. Ah, beautiful. Everything worked. No fucking around with mobile versions of pages. Right. Although I've booted that phone up and used it recently. And web pages have gotten a lot heavier. Yep. The uh, all the six hundred megahertz single core processor really struggles to render web pages yeah, anymore. Yeah, you can see that the JavaScript engine is probably way out of date. A lot. The uh, plus all the certificates have got to have expired, right? Uh, so there are people still maintaining MAMO. Oh. I don't know if I got the uh, updates, but there is definitely still a user group for the latest version of MAMO. I can see that. Congratulations, I mean, MAMO dorks. being Linux-based, yeah. Yeah. You will find someone who will maintain packages and backport things. Mm -hmm. And the nice part is, you know... ARM architecture on just vanilla Linux 
is not that hard to support. Like, Debian already has builds for all of these things. Mm -hmm. So, really, the only issue is a somewhat different user interface. But, like, that's handled by a window manager. That works shockingly well. Hell yeah. Like, that phone ruled so much, and it just makes... Uh, my heart aches for what has happened to phones since then. Because, like, I've picked it up and I used it for, like, a year, like, three years ago because a phone broke. Mm -hmm. And it was just fine. Like, I, I can't sit here and talk about my phone from the time, but uh, <laughs> the, the short version goes, best phone ever, has the best text messaging ringtone ever message 4.aac I literally move it to all of my new phones <laughs> after that because it's the only text message tone I ever want to hear that good huh yeah it's this really high pitched sort of tingle thing but it's the sort of thing that when your phone goes off when it shouldn't if you pretend you don't know what it is no one will know where it's coming from oh powerful and the pitch is perfect to hear it in, like, the loudest environment you can think of. Oh, powerful. My, for the last several years, my notification sound has been, um, you ever played the Stanley Parable demo? Uh, no. I recommend it. It's, um, the Stanley Parable demo is not a subset of the game. It's a completely different thing trying to get you to buy the game. And there's a... Okay. Are you familiar with the conceit of the Stanley Parable? Where... Not off the top of my head. Is, I know I've heard of it. You're a guy, you're Stanley, and the whole gag of the game, the whole conceit is um, you can hear the narrator narrating your story, and you can either do what he describes or not. And there's a lot of, it's, there's some pretty funny stuff that happens when, you know, you either do the story as he intended, or you break the rules and he gets mad at you, or, you know, pleads with you to get out of the broom closet or whatever. And, uh... Wikipedia calls the Stanley parable an interactive drama and walking simulator. That it is. Uh, walking simulator is a link to adventure game. Uh, <laughs> adventure games have mechanics other than walking. It is not an adventure game. But Okay. It is a subheading under adventure game yeah. that is walking simulator. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm more comfortable with this. Yeah, you do, in <laughs> fact, like just walk and occasionally, I think, hit a button and that's it. But anyways... In the te in the demo, there's a there's an area where there's a button you hit that just has a big number eight on it, and when you press it, it goes you know a bunch of screens light up with eight, and it goes eight. And the longer you stand there and press the button, the more the narrator sits there and goes like, you know, what are you, what are you doing? The the rest of the game is around here. You're getting a a completely wrong idea of what the Stanley Parable is about, and so on and so on. And I like that eight, and so now it's my uh. Now it's my notification tone. It's pretty good. Okay, you're back. Uh, I lost you there for a bit. <laughs> That's all right. I was just talking about the Stanley Parable. Uh, we should probably <laughs> keep talking about um, the thing. Because when we get to the warehouse, we meet Doug oh, Fargo. Yeah, we... Right, Douglas Fargo. No one ever calls him Doug in any scenes in Eureka. But, uh, yeah, Claudia has decided that she'll call him Doug. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, introduced himself as Douglas Fargo. Everyone calls me Fargo. Sure thing, Doug. Uh, yep. Which was that? I read that at least in my my memory of the scene of uh, Claudia is because Doug likes Claudia. Doug is constantly flirting with Claudia. He cannot keep it in his pants around her. He he likes her, and I get it. You know, she's hot. But was that a way of her like telling him to pump the brakes, or was that just her fucking with him? I think it was just her fucking with him. Like, I think she thought he was a little uh, buttoned up, wound up too tight, maybe. So she decided to kind of rattle him a little bit. Mm -hmm. Seems like a Claudia sort of move. Yeah, I can see that. He seems like a dork that has to be, you know, messed with a little bit. Right. But playfully, because she's a dork. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, yeah, you can't you can't hate dorks too much when you're a massive dork. Yeah, like she's not going to shove this guy in a locker or take his lunch money or anything. Right. Uh and uh next thing we see is already is uh basically we learn Mrs. Frederick sent Doug here to the warehouse to upgrade it. Already doesn't want him to upgrade anything. Uh and I think the quote I have in my notes here is, oh, he's soulless, he's made of binary numbers, and I I think Artie is saying that about Doug, but I forget. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what he's saying about Doug. I do want to go back to, uh, before Claudia leaves the bed and breakfast where she and uh, Todd are hanging out, uh, Todd promises to bring her lunch, and... She immediately rattles off what she wants for lunch. Yeah, like crustless PB and J, Doritos. What and it, I believe Twinkies. Yeah, it, crustless, crustless PB and J, Doritos, Twinkies, and I think Todd suggests an orange. Yeah, Todd says he's throwing in an orange for fiber. <laughs> Did orange? This have is fiber? literally like an elementary school lunch. Yeah, it's. It's weirdly infantilizing, is the thing. <laughs> right. Like, she expects him to cut the crusts off her sandwich? Claudia, you're an adult. Yeah, like, or something. Right. She's like, I would understand more if she was just like, can I have a pizza lunchable? Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, it's weird. It's, or does, does, I think Todd suggests it and Claudia likes it? Or no, or Claudia suggests. Claudia rattles off the whole thing yeah. except the orange, <sighs> but Todd's like looking out for her, making sure she gets some vitamin C in her life. <sighs> it's very strange. It's yeah, they're... it's like it's a gamer lunch because they're trying to paint her as I guess give her the sort of manic pixie dream girl energy. Right. Yeah. So she wants a lunch that uh that's fit for a gamer. So that you feel connected with her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it is, right? Because sometimes Claudia does things, I think, just because the ner- the nerds watching sci-fi at home will relate to it. Right. Yeah, they really want her to not exactly be a self-insert character, but they want you to identify with yeah, her. Like, you know, yeah, like if you're some sci-fi watching Dorcas Malorcus at home, you want, oh, that's what I have for lunch. Ah. It really is kind of like appalling just how low an opinion sci-fi writers have of the people who watch their shows. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
You only write like this if you think these people are like this. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Is it's... It... You can tell when they're writing to be like, Hey, nerds, this one's for you. You know Star Wars, right? You like Battlestar Galacticas? Huh? We do, right. We did this for you. One of the things that kind of shook me up because I watched the Eureka episode right after this mm -hmm. one was that I realized that Eureka writes women a lot better. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, it's still a sci-fi show. It still has a bunch of stuff that's pretty questionable today. But, like, at least the women have, like, generally better like a more fleshed out motivation structure yeah the women are are competent they they strike me like they have you know lives outside of what they do on screen like oh yeah as much as i like micah especially in this episode well in this particular episode she doesn't get to do much but like it's hard to characterize micah beyond the book nerd right and like you don't see a lot of most of the characters in Eureka in the crossover episode we watched. Mm -hmm. But just understand that all of these characters, like, everyone except for that one doctor that they interrogate because she's doing teleportation science, yeah. like, they are all extremely fleshed out characters. Mm -hmm. They all have backstories, they have hobbies, they have interests, like, they're not just a character that's there to fill, you know, a spot in the roster. Like, they mm. they have something they bring to the table, both in the team in universe and in the show. Yeah, and part of that I can understand that the, the Eureka episodes from season four, well, this is season two of Warehouse 13, so they've had more time, but it's also like the Warehouse 13 writers are certainly dragging their feet. It's... Yeah, you know, right. it's a little hard to watch them write Claudia's. I keep saying manic pixie dream girl. I don't like saying it. It's kind of a an overused thing to say, but it's. But she couldn't be more manic Especially... pixie dream girl with the constantly changing uh, uh, shock of color in her hair. Yeah, in the way like... in the way she apparently eats and. Because, like, she eats yeah, regular the, uh... food. She ate, she had chili. She ordered chili in a previous episode. And that's, yeah, that's a reasonable thing to eat. Uh, right, it's... the punkish wardrobe. Yeah. Uh, with, like, goofy pins all over it. Yeah. Like... And, like, some of those things I liked. A lot of these are, like, the... I like chili. I wear jackets with a bunch of shit on them. But it's... I'll be the first to admit I am a sucker for a manic pixie dream girl. Like, universally. Yeah. I know how bad and pandering it is. But, like, it still works. Yeah. <laughs> for me, anyway. Yeah, like, look, I'm a lesbian. I cannot dislike Claudia. I see a lot of myself in her. Which is possibly why this is... This is a difficult critique to make. But it also <laughs> means it hurts more when... The show is like, ah, oh, see, nerds? She's a girl, but she right. likes the Star Wars, huh? <laughs> yeah. But, anyways. When was the last time you insisted that your uh, significant other cut the crusts off of your peanut butter and jelly? Yeah. 
the fuck? My peanut butter and jellies don't have crusts. Uh-huh. Because I only buy tortillas because they're easier to carry when you're riding a bike. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. I uh, I once like astounded a friend by telling him I didn't I don't have bread in the house because I I only buy yeah. tortillas. That has changed because I since the pandemic happened I make a I make a sandwich for myself for lunch every day. But yeah, yeah if you're using enough bread for it not to go bad, like go off buy loaves of bread. But like. I don't really use that much bread, so I want less of it. Yeah. But also, I want it to be easier to carry. Yeah. If I, and the tortilla just ticks all of those boxes. Yeah, like if I wasn't making a, a sandwich every day for lunch for during work, I would absolutely just not buy bread. A, a tortilla is better for everything else. Yeah, it's, it grills, it's so versatile. It grills better. It wraps better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I... uh I recently decided to go vegetarian, mm-hmm. and that means that the only thing I eat when I'm home is, like, rice and beans wrapped in a tortilla, mm-hmm. because I'm horrible and will only cook food for myself if the only step is boil it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can cook rice because all you do is boil it. I can cook beans because all you do is boil it for, like, hours. Mm-hmm. I can cook spaghetti. Yep. <laughs> like, I'm horrible about this, but, like, I know what works for me, and it's just boiling anything. Yeah, I get it. Like, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll make some fried rice, but that's a, that's something I do if I, like, want to make something good, and I don't want to make a sandwich or a spagooby or... or right, or yeah, I'm not trying to impress anybody yeah. with these meals. <laughs> it's just me, I... But anyways, we should, we've been at this for almost half an hour and I'm like three notes in. What? Uh, right. One last thing. Yeah. Uh, peanut butter and hot sauce sandwiches. Very good. Yeah. Peanut butter and this weird kiwi hot sauce that you will probably never find in a store. Just perfect. I'm a peanut butter and honey liker myself. I think it's better than jelly. Oh, yeah. All right. Anyways. Uh... <laughs> So, Anyways, they eventually uh, convince Doug is eventually allowed to like upgrade the warehouse, and right, we, well, yeah, Claudia Pete has to essentially like walk Artie away so that he won't bug Fargo oh, the entire yeah, time. There's a scene where um, Pete and Micah are there looking at some papers or whatever, and they do rock paper scissors to determine who is going to like intervene. Right. Pete loses because, as we find out later in the episode, he always throws rock. It's the best one. Good old rock. Nothing beats that. Uh, Right. And so he has to go. How is paper better than rock? Rock's gonna beat paper. Yeah, like, even if the paper covers the rock, you still got a rock. You have not neutralized the rock in any respect. It's now a secret rock. (laughs) It's a ghost, is what you've made. You've made yourself a ghost rock. (laughs) Right. But, uh, But upon... Uh, Micah telling him that he shouldn't throw rock every time. He's like, all right, I'll throw paper next time. (laughs) Well, see, it's like... (laughs) And the thing is, like, you could... There's a level of three... of. I was going to say three-dimensional chess here. That's not the right thing to say, but whatever. Uh, It's like... (laughs) There's a level of one-dimensional chess... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the three dimensions are rock, paper, and scissors. Anyways, uh, like, yeah, it, if your opponent knows that you always throw rock, you can just start throwing scissors. 
right at the high level it's conditioning yeah and that's and like, like see pete said okay next time i'll throw scissors well now mike is like okay is Pete savvy enough to A, remember this conversation, and B, <laughs> know that I'm... Actually just throw rock. Yeah. Well, see... Because it seems he doesn't understand the game at the most basic level because he only throws rock. Yeah. He, he certainly does... Yeah, or at least, like, throwing rock every time is a decent strategy so long as your opponent doesn't know that. Right. Yeah, so, like... It to put it in fighting game terms, if you consider rock to be more powerful, which there's no meaningful point of that, it's like waking up with a special attack every time. Yeah. It's your most powerful move, and you do it every time. Yeah, it's at the low level. It's a real dummy move because there's a there's counterplay to it. Yeah, the... at the high level, no one will believe that you'll do this every time. <laughs> <sighs> It's all about Yomi, baby. The Japanese word right. for reading the mind of your opponents. Uh. Anyways, Doug has dropped something into the hole. Right, there's a there's a hole. There's a hole uh, full of computer stuff. Right. And uh Claudia walks up and says, Wire in the hole? And uh I wrote Doug Fargo here for some reason. I Maybe that's when we... I don't know. Probably not. But anyways, I think... Yeah, because I think he introduced... This is the point where he introduced himself as Doug Fargo. And she says, all right. And then she says, all right, Doug. And then uh, Doug asks for a tour. Claudia says he only has blue level clearance. Right, whatever that means, yeah. which is apparently inside of the office. And presumably everywhere. Yeah. Because it's weird, right? It's like, he's allowed to be... He's allowed to get in here and, like, install a bunch of shit. Like, he's allowed to muck with the computer shit to his heart's content. But he's not allowed to right. know what anything else is. He's not allowed to be right. told like, about the place he's upgrading. We have a computer that manages security, inventory, and surveillance of the entire world. Yes. And the person who's allowed to work on it doesn't have enough security clearance to walk the hallways. Yeah, he's not allowed... <laughs> like, which, like, on one hand, I guess it kind of makes sense that, like, no, we can't walk around and tell you what everything does because it's not in your description. But it's also... Yeah, it's very funny that, like, okay, you get to fuck around with the computers, but you we're not allowed to tell you anything. Right. Also... You're allowed to play with the thing that controls access and the thing that knows everything about every artifact in the warehouse. Yes. And every employee. But it's also like, you know, I, I'm adjacent to IT. I can understand, like, you know, we need you to upgrade the, billet, the payroll server or whatever. That doesn't mean you get to see everyone and who they're paid and how much they're paid, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I love the term adjacent to IT because I'm also adjacent to it's, IT. I don't mean to dox myself too much on this podcast, but it I it says IT in my on my business cards. I do work in the IT part of the company, but when you say oh, I okay. but when you say IT, people imagine help desk work and that's not what I do. But anyways, right. yeah, I'm adjacent to IT 
in that I have to deal with whatever shit they decide to do. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty <laughs> like, much like regardless. Uh, uh. Anyways, uh, we are back in Artie's office, or at least like the office, the place of the warehouse that isn't warehousey. I call it Artie's office because Artie seems like he's the one who spends the most time there. Yeah, because he uh, doesn't get around the warehouse real fast. Yeah, and well, like, <laughs> yeah, and like, there's no reason to go out on the warehouse floor unless you have something to do, unless you have business there. Right. Yeah, he has the computer there where he does all of his magical yeah, where uh, he hacks, surveillance. Where he hacks all those Swiss ATMs or whatever. Right. And, uh... uh yeah, it's also where you come in and out of the warehouse from, so it's a good place to hang out yeah. if you're, you know, trying to get stuff done. Yeah, exactly. And so, long story short, uh, Doug is like, okay, we're powering down the old system, and then he turns it off, and all the lights turn off, because it's weird that the computer also controls the lights, but whatever. It seems like you can just ha whatever. And then, okay, we're powering on the new system, it didn't work. Artie sarcastically calls him Bismarck, which is another city in North Dakota. Right. <laughs> yeah, instead of Fargo, he's uh he's being called Bismarck yeah. because Artie doesn't particularly like him. Yeah. Which is uh, a, a weird geography burn, but okay. Right. Uh, let's jump back real quick to uh the wire in the whole yeah. scene. Oh yeah. So. Fargo's not really allowed to know much about the warehouse, but he's totally allowed to know about Ben Franklin's ring. Yeah. That makes Claudia bioluminescent. Yeah, that makes her... Oh, is that what it does? That makes sense. Yeah, he he's like, so does it, like, run off of some sort of internal power source? And she's like, no, it just makes you glow. Because he's trying to explain it from a science perspective. Yeah, that's the first thing we kind of <laughs> learn about, you know, in Eureka, everything explainable with science, but things in the warehouse are just allowed to be magic. Right. This is the same universe in which science and magic both exist, but only exist in their respective shows. Yes. <laughs> like, there's no magic in Eureka. Even though, like, right. <laughs> presumably you would think a lot of weird artifacty shit would happen there. Or at least make its way there somehow or another. Yeah. But, yeah, especially considering the weapon's uh, capabilities that certain uh, artifacts might possess. Yeah. But, yeah, so... Fargo dropped the thing in the hole so that they could set up this real awkward scene where Claudia's reaching down to grab it with her arm glowing. Yes. And Fargo has to, like, hold her by the waist so she doesn't fall in the hole. Yeah. It's weird. Which, it was awkward the way it was filmed. It was an awkward interaction. I think it was supposed to be an awkward interaction. I don't think it was supposed to be as awkward in the way it was presented. Yeah. It's... The writers, I think, seem to say have this thought that, like, okay, Claudia's kind of a... Well, they keep, like, giving her these awkward meet-cutes, just like she had with Todd, but Claudia isn't really an awkward person most of the time. It's usually because she's in her element. Yeah. But it's... 
it's strange to me is is it yeah and uh fargo's holding a tiny microchip uh with tweezers and claudia's like is that gasp <laughs> and he says it's better than gasp Gasp 2. It's never explained what Gasp is supposed That's to be. That's right, everyone. They came out with Gasp 2. <laughs> right. Gasp 2. This time, it's better. Yeah, like, it's implied it's some, like, really <laughs> whiz-bang, you know, microprocessor or whatever. That's replacing all of everything. It's replacing a lot of computer nonsense. Right. Uh, it's replacing the whole computer hole. Yeah. <laughs> See this computer hole? Forget about it. It's done. All you need is this. Gasp 2. <laughs> Tired of falling in the computer hole? Gosh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, jumping back forward, we were uh, powering on the new system, which gives us a BIOS screen, which has a whole lot going on on yeah, it. Yeah, it sure does vomit a lot of upper ASCII characters on the screen. <laughs> uh, yeah, it uh, it has a pretty normal looking BIOS yeah. on boot up uh, that tells you a couple of things about the specs of the uh, warehouse. Yeah, I went back and paused it's, the screen because it it almost looked like an American one of those standard ass American Megatrends BIOSes, but no, it's, I think they marked it up just for this. Yeah, and like the details, forty five hundred megahertz processor. Uh, it's some sort of prototype processor, which makes sense for the warehouse. Yeah, 4,500 megahertz would have been, like, that's fast for now. It would have been cutting edge instead of, cutting art and state of the edge for uh, 2010. Right. Now, it doesn't say much about what sort of architecture or whatever, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Unless you read into the MX6 designation, which is a small ARM mobile processor, which it almost certainly is not. <laughs> Uh, that's actually been around for a really long time, though. Uh, it's what comes in the Librem 5 if you're interested in a free-as-in-freedom phone, or, uh, that's made by people who are real chummy with, uh, people who are awful. God, I remember their fucking Mastodon instance. Ugh. The whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I still think what they do is interesting and kind of cool but like i wish they weren't like yeah it's <laughs> yeah i would love to have like have my phone be hardware i control instead of like it being owned by the mobile carriers and also google slash apple right but that's not really an option it would be nice if it was an option but well it would be <laughs> yeah Blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty interested in efforts to port, you know, like, other things to phones. Mm -hmm. Stuff that gets us away from Android. Yeah. But currently, we're in pretty rough shape there. I think the most realistic option is Sailfish, since it will uh, work reasonably well with Android apps. Uh Librem's operate or Purism's operating system, while interesting and maybe gives us something, means you live on HTML5 apps. Yeah. Uh, those don't really exist. 
because they're not progressive like, web apps, right? I assume you have to write them specifically for the phone. So, I think the, that they do appify web pages. Yeah. Like Mastodon would be great on yeah, it like because you can just you can just make the web page be your air quotes app. Yeah, and I think Mastodon like is a progressive web app, which is kind of the the standard for. You can save some of this locally, and it'll and it'll behave like a native application in some respects. Right, but the uh, I I've seen one place advertise that they had an HTML five app three or four, maybe five years ago, and I'm like. What in the world? Because it was a a local bar rolled out an app for their menu and their uh, and their beer yeah. list that automatically updated. Pretty pretty simple stuff, yeah. but yeah, handy to have a nice feature. Uh, and they had an HTML five version, and I'm like, where did they find a dev that was insistent that Firefox OS needs to be supported? Because it wasn't because just a web page, time, right? No, it was a standalone app. You scanned a QR code and it downloaded. It was specifically targeting Firefox OS, which they never... I don't think they ever sold a phone in America with it. Yeah. Or it was... Yeah, I, that's a distant memory now, if it ever happened. Yeah, that was abandoned that. extremely Yeah, quickly. it's up there with Ubuntu Mobile. Right. Uh, anyways. Which... Ubuntu Mobile is still being developed huh. by uh, third parties these days. Good for them. It's now UB ports. <laughs> Anyways, the warehouse is shut down, some problems are happening, and these eyeball things start propping up out of the ground. And Artie recognizes the voice yelling, talking about failsafe engaged as belonging to one Hugo Miller. Right. Also, the warehouse has uh, 40 gigs of RAM quite a lot yeah it's a lot uh, for 2010 and what it really has a lot of is two hard drives that are each 500 petabytes damn which makes sense yeah. you gotta hold all that fucking uh it is a warehouse full of things yeah. and things presumably have data you, you'd think he already would set up a raid array at some point but who knows maybe that's why doug's here well the wiki says that the computer actually has uh eight drives but the bios sees two so maybe it's some hardware raid going yeah, on there you go i shouldn't have said raid array that's redundant but anyways uh anyways already suggests they go to the computer lab uh oh yeah because of course we have a computer uh, lab we've never seen before well, as we'll see it's because it like it's been disused right like no one does anything in the computer lab Right. It's a computer lab from an era where computers were the entire Yeah, room. Doug is like, why didn't you tell me about the computer lab? And Artie's like, well, like, nothing fucking happens in there. It's dusty and everything covered in a tarp and no one's ever, no one's got in there in 20 years or whatever. And, like, I don't get this because, like, it really seems like Artie's computer should be some sort of thin client that reaches yeah. out to, you know, the warehouse mainframe and does all its yeah, things that but way. but this is not it, which is weird. Right, it's suggested that Artie's computer is a box that does all of this yeah. stuff and has all of Artie's computer stuff. is just the thing in his office, I guess. Right, but... 
Well, at least to me anyway, based on the capabilities and the weirdness and the fact that it's supposed to be old, like, if you care, if you care about tech history, it would make a whole lot more sense for it to be a thin well, client. Well, though, I would, I will say, like, the, the place with the hole that Doug was messing around in, because yeah. the thing... Because if the thin client connects to something else, I would describe the room that, that, that the bigger computer lives in as, like, a data center or the server rack or something like that. Computer lab implies it's self-contained. Like, it is a place you go to use the computer. Yeah. And so... Yeah, like, we had, uh... My college had Unix labs, yeah. and they were all thin clients, and they all just connected to our server... Which also hosted the web page. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it was in a server room, not a computer yeah, exactly. lab. The computer lab was where you used the computer. Yeah, exactly. Same. The computer lab is a, a room full of computers for people to use. Or I think or in the warehouse or in the warehouse case, a place where you do experiments on computers because it's the seventies or the eighties and it's still like, you know, a, a hot new thing. Uh, right. And no, I'm not extremely old. My school had a very strange computer setup. Yeah, I think we've talked about this. If the you wanted to use the Unix lab, it was a thing. Oh, I think we've... I think it's still a I thing. I think we've talked about this before. <laughs> they're all they're all sun machines, right? Yep. Yeah, running Solaris. <laughs> all right. Uh, anyways, they go to... They were delightful. Ah... Uh, <laughs> uh... Anyways, we go to the computer lab, and, uh, you know, there's all these old-ass computers, you know, big old mainframe-type situations. One of them says Hugo on the side, and there are some board games. There's Battleship on the... Battleship on the table, and I wrote, oh shit, is this a war games? Which it kind of is. <laughs> I know I've... It was rapidly approaching a war you, games. Yeah, you've seen war games, right? Or at least I've talked about it before. I'm... I'm familiar with right. war games. I, I think I've seen the first couple minutes and then had to go do yeah. something else. I know I recommend a lot of things on this show, but War Games is one of my favorite films. It's okay. I I will sit down and yeah. watch it because I know that I recently started to and didn't get yeah. to. It's really good. I like it a lot. But um, and I I will point out the similarities as we keep going. But uh. Uh, also, Pete finds a a can of lemon launch, uh, which already calls it pop, which is a reasonable thing to call it. But I have been, I always call it soda in my head, and so it's it's weird to have to adjust to someone saying the other thing. Even though as a kid, I also called it pop. Yeah, I I have this horrible problem where like I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say, like. Regionally, we all say pop, mm. but, like, I say soda when I'm speaking in, like, technical terms. Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's it's weird. There's certain times that I would never say pop, mm. and there's certain times I would never say mm. soda. But I can't describe to you where uh, that they're, line is. They're different registers. See, I would, I distinctly remember, I don't know when it was, I think I was either approaching my teens or a teenager where I just kind of decided I don't like the way pop sounds. Soda sounds more adult or something. I'm going to start saying that and I still say it to this day. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my town is receiving a soda bar. Oh. It's going to close in like 
a, an exceptionally short period of time because there's no way it will be profitable. Yeah. But I'm excited like, about it. Like, is it just like a, a place with a bunch of different sodas on tap and you can go up to the bar and like, hey, give me a, a cream soda from space and they'll, they'll give you one? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I only knew about this so far. Uh, well, now there's like a sign saying, hey, it's coming soon. But I knew about it because I was working in the bike shop that was occupying that space when the people came in to check out the space. Ah, that would do it. Now the bike shop going? Yeah, I... Uh, no, it, it relocated. Right, that's good. Uh, the guy who owned the bike shop owned the building and had other buildings to put the bike shop into. He was just shuffling things around, renovating things. Yeah, complicated stuff. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, but... I, I hope they do well, but they're not going uh, to. There's a pandemic it, it's on. It's a horrible idea. <laughs> it, there's a pandemic on, and my town has, like, less than 10,000 yeah, people. It's... It can't support an alcohol-free soda yeah, bar. Yeah, I, I, I want it to succeed. That sounds pretty great. I always want, like... Because a lot of people I know don't drink. I don't necessarily like being in a place where I'm pressured to drink. But there's not a lot of places you could just go to be social, you know? Right. Yeah, and, like, the the people I got to talk to a good bit, they wanted to... They didn't use this terminology. I introduced them to it. They basically wanted a third space for, yeah. like, teenagers. That makes sense. And, like, I, I think that's really valuable, because, like, when I was a teen, I was hanging out in the coffee shop constantly. Yeah. And that's basically why. Yeah. Because it was, you know, a third space for me. But, like, I understand why other teenage kids were not hanging out at a coffee shop. Because they weren't into drinking coffee. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, I have fond memories of going to the bar while I was in college. But the bar was immaterial. It's because bars are one of the few third places we have. That right. weren't, like, hanging out on campus, and, like, that's still fun. Yeah. Yeah, for those of you listening at home who are a little confused at the terminology third place, I think, I don't know who originated mm. it, but uh, Starbucks kind of popularized the concept. They really wanted a place that is not home or work for you to just sort of be. Yeah, people... And that's a big part of why Starbucks was such a smash success is people knew what they were getting and they knew that they could, you know, come in here, get work done, come in here and just unwind, you know, come in here and just like have a space. Yeah, like some, yeah, like some, I think some writer talked about how like people have, or people have implied there's some like psychological need or desire for a third place, a place to go other than home or work. And which is why, you know, and you'll hear a lot of, you'll see a lot of think pieces about, like... I wonder what they're thinking about this, uh, these days with yeah, everybody working from I fucking, home. I fucking <laughs> miss places and doing things with people, but, um... But, I mean, yeah, but like, <laughs> same. And, like, there's a lot of, you know... You see think pieces about, like, shows like Cheers are successful because they allow you to have a sort of ersatz third place, a sort of, you know... Okay. So, because, like, it perhaps creates the impression of hanging out in a bar with with your friends, even though, like, 
the the people on the screen don't know you. They're actors. But it right. kind of creates that atmosphere. Yeah. Or how yeah, listening to a podcast. F- right. Yeah, that's a big part of, uh, I think, what at least draws me to listening to a podcast is that you're sitting down, you're sitting in on a conversation with people and, like, the the sort of parasocial nature of that, like, it allows you to feel like you're socializing in a situation where you don't want to or can't. Mm -hmm. Like, I can sit and listen to people talk all day at work, and it feels like, you know, it feels like I'm engaging with something when, from, like, a social perspective, I'm not really. Yeah. It tickles some of the same lobes. Right. Yeah, and so I can definitely get the idea that, you know, shows that just allow you to hang out in people's sort of lifestyle doing day-to-day stuff are drawing on that same sort of feeling. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. It's like uh it's like how games like Animal Crossing it basically simulate tedious tasks that you would be asked to do at like entry level work positions. Yeah. But they do it in a way that makes you feel good. Yeah. Makes you feel like you're achieving. Yeah, like I stopped playing Animal Crossing New Leaf back in the day because it's a job. But I can also see, like, especially in coronavirus times, how, like, A, simulating that your work is valuable and appreciated, and B, like, Animal Crossing (laughs) simulates having friends. (laughs) Right. And, like, that sounds mean, but, like, fuck like that's why i liked animal crossing back in the day like sometimes that's what you want is some you know you don't want or need to be around or can't be around real people you know sometimes right. some... so it's just you log in and you know what you're getting into and you you know do your thing make your neighbor happier or whatever and it just feels satisfying. Yeah, you you get to see your efforts reflected in the game. You got rid of the weeds or whatever. Like you planted some flowers. You, you know, it rewards you for that. Uh, right. It gets kind of weird when it starts guilting you for not logging on. Yeah, that's why I stopped playing. Like that's, yeah, that's a little bit like, I get it, and it's a big part of how the game is designed. But like, I don't want to be responsible for any events that happen in real time based on my video game. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. It's the big reason I can't do mobile games. They try to do that constantly. Like either they're, you know, paywalling away, not having to wait for something or another or they want to see those consecutive logins day after day after yeah. day. And and like yeah, that's what I don't like about Animal I was just Crossing, talking about it punishes you. Like, oh, you're, the villagers you like move away. You know, your town gets full of weeds. I, I hear New Horizons is somewhat better about this, but it's like... Still not good. Right, and I was just uh, talking with a co-worker about how, like, corporate social media has people whose job it is 
to make people develop unhealthy habits with online. Yeah. And, like, when you think about that conceptually, it's like if some someone in Ford's marketing department was tasked with making people addicted to buying cars. Yeah. Like, it's just... It's just nonsense from, like, uh, the perspective of traditional markets. Mm -hmm. But, like, social media is not a traditional market. It's all about putting people in front of advertisements. So getting them to consistently come back is the way you do that. Yeah, Yeah, you you have to cultivate this fear of missing out. You have to, like, kind of punish them for, like... And this is nothing new. I remember my aunt told me she used to watch some soap opera when she was a kid, when she was a teenager. And, uh, you know, she would, she would watch it with her mom. And, uh, there was a, and when she was like going off to some camp for a week or a week or two, you know, she told her mom like, well, Hey, can you, can you tape it for me? So I don't miss anything. (laughs) And mom was like, and mom was like, no, honey, it's a soap opera. It's not going to change that fast, I promise you. And Yeah, nothing ever happens. They have to make a new show every day. <laughs> Pretty much. And so, and I, I, the way she tells it, that kind of broke the spell of the soap opera for her. Right, but that's, that's one of the things, that's the whole design of soap operas. That's why they are the way yeah, they are. Yeah, so you can, and yeah, because they're they're daytime TV. They're meant to, like, be something you watch while you're home alone all day. The term soap opera implies it's right. because you're a Probably housewife. Probably doing other things. Yeah, while you're washing, like, doing laundry or whatever. Right. They don't want the story to be so engaging that you don't feel you can walk away in the middle yeah. of it. Because that will, you know, negatively impact people's lives. And they'll just stop watching in general. Yeah. But if they can be in your house every day because, well, it's low-effort television... Like, it works. Yeah. And, yeah, we see parallels in Animal Crossing. We see parallels in social media these days. Like, it's all about driving engagement. Mm-hmm. And, like... Need them eyeballs. Certain... At some border there, it's just, can we make people have bad brain? Yeah. Like, can, we, can we force <laughs> enough people to put their eyeballs on us? So that we can show them ads, and unfortunately, one of the best ways to do that is by pissing them off. Right. Or just, like, giving them an internet addiction. Okay. We got- we've been talking for an hour, and we are not- (laughs) we are not even halfway- we're not even a third of the way through my notes. We gotta get through this shit. (laughs) Okay, yeah. (laughs) Uh, alright. So, Pete and Micah eventually convince Artie that it would be a good idea to go talk to this Hugo Miller guy, who is in the Hutchinson Sanatorium, uh, two hours from the warehouse. Right, he's retired. Yeah. They and, they try and pry into what the deal was there, and Artie just doesn't want to talk about it. He's just retired. Yeah, uh, he has, he however, like, Pete, like, retired or retired pantomimes like pulling a finger across his throat and Artie's like don't be dramatic he's not dead right like that's dramatic well yeah (laughs) like like, that's based on what they know about the warehouse that's what i thought right like 
I, I is retired a meta a euphemism for dead? And like, I don't know. I don't want to say it's closer to what he assumed, but like, he wasn't going to keep working at the warehouse. It's not like he retired by choice. Yeah. <laughs> and so, this next, basically, the rest of this episode has some really shitty takes on mental health and neurology and mental health in general. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's hard for a show to do this with any sort of nuance. But, yeah, it, it's pretty ham-fisted yeah, throughout. Like, uh, as there was a pretty funny thing where I was having some technical issues, so I watched this episode on Amazon Prime Video, and it does a little pop-up thing with facts and such, and uh, this the scene where Pete says, you know, everyone who's left the warehouse was either is either crazy, evil, or dead, and I don't like that C word, but I'm quoting Pete here. Uh, the I believe Micah actually I think said Mike, that first. Yeah, I think she did. And uh, there was a the little fact thing popped up says character error. Uh, Rebecca Saint Clair or yeah. <laughs> was none of those things. I did not get that pop-up, but I did note that. Oh, there you go. That there was one person that uh, Micah very specifically met who told her, hey, get out of here. This place will kill you. Yeah, this place will specifically suck the life out of you. And, like, what what box did you put her in if you think everyone you met is one of those three categories? Do you think she's evil because she tried to get you to leave the warehouse? Right, like, she is every bit an upstanding warehouse agent who just is like, no, I'm not going to lose my life to this. Like, this place will either kill you or use you up and... In fact, like, Pete and Mike could talk about this later in the episode. They have a little conversation. Like, I think near the end of the episode, Mike is like, how do you come to terms with, with the fact that, like, this place can and will kill you? And right. Pete's like, well, we're usually together, so I figure whatever happens to you will happen to me, too, so I don't have to worry about it. Um, I do like... This is a consistent characterization yeah. for Pete. Like, when they got the file on Artie that was full of all the evil things Artie purportedly did, Pete's like, I'm not changing my mind on Artie. I know who Artie is. Like, I don't even need to look at this. Mm -hmm. Which is like a... It's sort of a bizarre way to, like, go about your life. But in Pete's case, he's like, No, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm about. Like, there's no reason for me to even sit here worrying about, oh, what happens if I, you know, die trying to snag artifacts? Like, I went from being in the Secret Service. Like, what's the big difference? Yeah, like, and I think Pete actually brings this up. It's like, I'm in the Secret Service. Like, I, I go to work every day, like, knowing that there's a chance I'll have to take a bullet for the president. Like, that's part of the job description. Yeah, and, like, if anything, in this case, you're more likely to die in weird circumstances, but you're not more likely to die yeah, or, than being a Secret Service yeah, agent. 
you could most jobs, yeah, but Secret Service, mm, yeah, yeah, like you could get being aware. It's probably a somewhat more dangerous job since you have to like you have no idea what the fuck you're going up against in the warehouse, and you could very well meet a fate worse than death. Oh yeah, but yeah, there's some real weird things that could yeah, happen like, that could be very. You could bad. get your ass bronzed, like. Which seems... Spend the rest of your days thinking and unable to move. Yeah, like, there's some existentially terrifying, like, being a Secret Service agent, the worst thing that could happen is, like, you die or maybe you end up in jail or tortured or something. But the warehouse? Right. You have no idea what could happen to you, but you know... Yeah, it's pretty boundless. And... Like, the, your best ending is, like, you're Rebecca St. Clair and you just leave. Right, but that requires you to see this and go, okay, this isn't the life yeah, I want. Yeah, otherwise you are going to be... And Pete's not even willing to consider Yeah, that. like, Pete is, as, Pete, there, Pete does not plan on retiring. Pete's plan is, like, I am going to do this until something kills me and Micah, or worse. Right. Yeah, like, I think Pete would be willing to retire if he's finding himself, you know, older, slower, less physically capable of doing his job. He might be like, oh, okay, it's time to move on. Yeah, and... But I don't think he has any, He doesn't have any retirement plans. To Pete, he doesn't have any, like, okay, I'm going to turn 65 and then retire or whatever. He is going to do this job until he is physically unable to, or for whatever that means. Right. Yeah, it it doesn't matter that to him anyway that people die doing yeah, this. Yeah, and Pete has like Pete's not in denial. He has fully accepted that there is a real chance he will die doing this. Right. Yeah, he's got this sort of radical acceptance of certain things. Yeah. Like he accepts that he trusts Artie. He accepts that his job might kill him. Yeah. Cuz you like, know, which it's not yeah. It's not because he doesn't understand, it's because he does understand what he finds yeah, important. Yeah, and that's, I think, pretty good writing for Pete. Like, it's, you know... Yeah, yeah it's it's great, because, like, they like to play him up like he's some sort of, uh... They, you know, like, like... some kind of dingus. He's the... Right. Yeah. They play him as sort of... But, like... You know, he play, they play him as the guy who throws rock every time in rock, paper, scissors, even though his opponent knows that. But he he knows he right. knows what he's about. He knows who he is, and he knows who he trusts. Right. Yeah, and they managed to make this sort of square up where he's actually being like really emotionally smart yeah. by just accepting what he believes and not not second guessing himself. Yeah, like while also keeping it within the bounds of a character that will you know, constantly be goofy and frequently do things that are not very yeah, smart. because, like, yes, Pete doesn't think a lot of things through, but he has thought this one through. I I honestly wish I had Pete's ability to, like, accept that death is coming. Like, I can't even... Yeah. You ever hear that They Might Be Giants song, Older? It, I'm sure it I a, have. What it, album? Uh, I think it's on... It's on... Mink Car, apparently, huh? But I think it's also on, or Long Tall Weekend, I think they've, but it's, you know, 
It's a song that goes, you're older than you've ever been, and now you're getting older, and now you're even older, and so on. The whole song is just that. Okay. And I can't listen to it. It freaks me out. It reminds me that my time on Earth is limited. I can't do it. But Pete, Pete wouldn't fucking care. Like, he knows this. He has internalized it just like his firefighter dad did. Right. Yeah, and that's just kind of, you know, it's required. Wait, what did they do for the Animaniacs? I mean... Tiny Toons. Right. Okay. And those were, um, they did Triangle Man, and I think also there was a Tiny Toons music video for Triangle Man, and I think also Istanbul. I was watching some show recently, and it had an original song by They Might Be Giants. Like, I didn't even bother looking it up. I'm like, oh, cool. They Might Be Giants is doing some theme work. Yeah. It sounds... Because it, it's never surprising to me. Like, they, they totally are, they're actually, like, really good at yeah, doing like, that. They're genuinely talented musicians. I like They Might Be Giants. I will go off about them if allowed to. But, uh, maybe they were an Animaniacs. That rings a bell. I watched the new Animaniacs series. But I also... So, it, it looks like... Older might have been written for Malcolm in the Middle. Well, hmm. Because they... Or it might have just been uh, brought around for Yeah, because they did do the Malcolm in the Middle theme song, the, you're not the boss of me now! They did do that. Right. Yeah, the music from Malcolm in the Middle album album features two songs, Older and Uh, Boss of Me. You know, it does... It does seem like a song that would be in Malcolm in the Middle. I haven't seen the whole show, but it does... I bet that would have come up at some point. Yeah, like, I, I think it's just, like, a single instance yeah. or whatever, but, like, it's it's interesting to see that. Like, I, I really want to know if they... Okay, so Mink Car came out in 2001. Long Tall Weekend came out in 1999. Which, it's on Long Tall Weekend, and uh, that came out before Malcolm in the Middle started, so I think it was just brought over to the Mm -hmm. show. But, yeah, now we're at the bottom of this. They Might Be Giants wrote that song, not for Malcolm in the Middle, but it was featured in Malcolm in the Middle. (laughs) According to the, they might be a wiki, this might be a wiki, the last, like, newsworthy thing they recorded was uh well you know songs to support their band and uh, they did a a song for a cnn television special about the electoral college okay Uh, yeah not terribly surprising that's that's on brand for them and their songs about presidents their latest single is the communists have the music yeah yeah that song rules ah I I struggle to keep up with them, but I do really like their yeah, work. Yeah, it's... I, I... Like, sometimes they just, like, release albums in really close succession. Yeah, like, I, I remember, like... I remember the year they released, you know, they did My Murdered... I Like Fun, which was a double album, and also came with this Escape Team album thing, and also released an album of live recordings from... uh one of their other one of their earlier albums they're okay ridiculous they're incredibly prolific and they've been on just all sorts of stuff i'm looking at their wikipedia page now and like 
Does the name Adventure Quest mean anything to you? The browser game? It does not. I play that I play that <laughs> shit all the time as a kid, and they apparently like they apparently like featured in that. In this like online browser RPG. And of course their work with uh Homestar Runner and they did a song for the SpongeBob SquarePants musical and all sorts of shit. Anyways. <laughs> they they didn't record an original song, but they gave permission to a particular uh, a particular podcast to use one of their mm-hmm. songs. I can't remember which podcast it was, but someone has a They Might Be Giants theme huh. song. And it's just shocking to me that you can just sort of ring them up and get permission to use their yeah, song. <laughs> maybe we should do that. <laughs> yeah. Hello? John? Did, uh, no, sorry, the other John. Uh... You're aware they did a song for 200 Strong Bad emails, right? Oh, yeah. Right? Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> Linnell voices the Poopsmith. Oh, okay. That, that was the one time the Poopsmith has ever spoke, and they had John Linnell do the <laughs> voice for him. Because he's he's the one singing the 200 females. Exalt. Okay. <laughs> Don't get me fucking started on Homestar Runner. I have a whole other podcast for that, and we still have, to t- we still have a lot to talk about. <laughs> Right, and it's pr- mostly not about what characters fuck. Yes. Th- this episode, yeah. anyway. Uh, anyways, they go talk to Hugo, and he is consistently portrayed as, like, childlike. Not childlike like Claudia is, but, like, like an actual child. You know, he, he greets uh, Pete as, Ah, Ulysses S. Grant and the snowman. Presumably because uh, Micah looks like... Mr. Police, you could have saved her. I gave you all the clues. Um, they're trying to like right. get the get codes out from from this guy, and uh, uh, he draws a, a cat on a piece of paper. And, you know, okay, but it'll have Pete like plays into it. He's like, well, okay, well, President Ulysses S. Grant needs to, you know needs you to give us the code or whatever. And uh, Hugo yeah. is he draws a, a cat on a piece of paper it's like okay but I, I'll only be paid in bicycles and he hands the drawing of a right. cat to Pete and he's like I'm not paying a bicycle for this um, and honestly me yeah. too I, I've commissioned a lot of art I in my day and I would to be paid in bicycles I've commissioned a lot of art in my day and I would not pay a bicycle for that <laughs> Pete knows he's an artist right well well yeah. Eddie McClintock is an artist. I don't think Pete's particularly right. artistic, visually inclined. But, uh... So, yeah, to to speed things right yeah. along, uh, we're going to learn that there's a scan that suggests that half of his brain is just completely inactive, and there's no real explanation as to why. Yeah. Just, like, whole portions of his brain... And it's sort of doing that whole left brain, right brain yeah, which thing I, I that's think, not really yeah, true. Yeah, it's been pretty well discredited, but whatever. But, yeah, so the analytical side of his brain is uh, currently making up the not artificial artificial intelligence yeah. that is Hugo 1 that has locked down the warehouse mm-hmm. That's that they're trying to, you know, stop him from, you know... Killing everybody, mostly. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and 
basically they go back and forth for a while and uh they go back and forth for a while and Hugo takes the Tesla and zaps them and the expression I I read from him was like he was like this was an act like he was doing this to to trick them but apparently not apparently he just wanted to zap them and then run away yeah so he's his condition is basically he's maximally impulsive mm-hmm. So, like, if he doesn't want to do something, he'll he'll just run off. Or if he does want something, he'll just start stamping his feet or whatever. Yeah. Like, he has... He has no real, like, analytical approach to his problems. Yeah, he, yeah like, he speaks mostly in non-sequiturs. He wants ice cream. They write him as a... As, like, a... A kindergartner. Right. But, as you see more and more, it it shows that he's expressing things in cryptic ways that are, you know, extremely informed. Yeah. But he's expressing them in ways that don't make sense. And, uh... Yeah, and meanwhile, back at the warehouse, uh... A holographic version of Hugo dressed like, you know, he's from the 70s or 80s with the Tom Selleck mustache. Uh, has materialized and is like, you know, I will be evaluating the warehouse. I'm the failsafe, blah, blah, blah. And then... Yeah, he's got little eyes that have popped up all over the warehouse that are scanning things for being out of place. He's apparently reading all the personnel files. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, and... Big surprise, he doesn't like it. He starts like locking down the warehouse and low and he's going to lower it to sub-zero temperatures to preserve the artifact with really no care for what happens to the humans inside. Um Artie and basically Artie, Claudia, and Fargo they hold these stones of Babel that scramble their speech so that they can understand each other, but but so that Hugo cannot. And then there's a right. whole thing where Micah calls on the Farnsworth, they talk and talk. Uh, Micah keeps saying, I can't fucking the- understand you while you're holding that rock, and Artie continues to hold the rock and trying to talk to her. Yeah, he doesn't just put the rock down. He knows exactly what's going on. Yeah. He ends up writing on a piece of paper to try and keep it secret from Hugo yeah. One, the artificial-ish intelligence. Yeah. And, but when he writes it on the paper, Pete reads it aloud, so Hugo One can just hear it. Whoops. What are you gonna do? (laughs) Oopsie. But, uh, yeah, so they, it's worth noting here that, uh, Hugo One also pulls, uh, Fargo's GD file, Mm -hmm. which... The thing that's important to know is he's the director of GD. He's the top yeah, dog. Yeah, he's, he's the guy. And GD has some top-notch security, so walking right through their firewalls seems a little uh, unlikely. Artie writes this off as, like, uh, I can hack a uh, ATM in Switzerland just, like, on a whim. You think I can't read a GD yeah, file? Yeah, pretty much. Another interesting thing is... Uh, 
Hugo One points out that uh, Fargo has 38 incidents where uh, pushed button he shouldn't have is the gist of what he did wrong. (laughs) And, like, that is is Fargo's character. Uh, The problem is Fargo doesn't know what's in Fargo's file. (laughs) He recently uh, transferred timelines and has no idea about anything about his past. (laughs) He doesn't even seem to know, like, what his job entitles him to do. Right. Yeah, like, uh, he very genuinely was not prepared to be the director of GD because, uh, up until, like, up until, like, two weeks ago, he was not the director of GD yeah. in the in real time airing of these episodes. Both seasons were showing at the same time, different days of the week. They just shifted timelines to a different yeah. timeline, which is, like, the only time this ever happens. When they have, like, a big, but, like, multi-week thing, or... Uh... No, where they they just threw away everything that happened in the seasons prior. Uh, uh, s- five key characters travel back in time alter the timeline, they get back and things have changed. Like, uh, Fargo mentions Claudia asks if he has a girlfriend and he's like, uh, she doesn't exist anymore. Because he had a girlfriend in the other Ah. timeline briefly, but she does not exist in this timeline. Rip. Ah. Which is... Interesting. So is this permanent? Do they just are they just now in this other timeline yeah. forever? Yeah, that that timeline's gone. They're in a new timeline. Well, dang. Yeah it it was uh it was just sort of thrust on us at the end of a season. It it was very strange to do, but yeah. Another thing is. It's it's explicitly stated that uh, Fargo has fucked in his previous timeline, but the Fargo of this timeline has not. Oh. But since he transferred timeline, I mean, presumably he has, but he, as of right now, is like, well, I've never fucked in this timeline, I guess. <laughs> and... It's bizarre because by a little later in, uh, I think in this same season, there's like a new girlfriend sort of Mm. thing, and he is very worked up about the idea of having sex for the first time, (laughs) when it's not even, like, true. Uh, Well, like, but Fargo doesn't, this Fargo has not had sex. He doesn't remember having had sex. No, he he went to the past and came back and discovered the world. Sure, but like, you know, it's a Marty McFly situation, right? Like, he left and came back to a different timeline. Yeah. Yeah, but like, he has all of his experiences. He wasn't robbed of all of his previous uh, experience. But, But like, 
if you asked Fargo, he would say he hasn't had sex, correct? Yeah, but I think that's literally because the writers forgot. <laughs> well, because they forgot the, <laughs> like... the Fargo in this time, in the new timeline has had sex. No. Or... Uh... They forgot that they previously wrote him to have oh. a girlfriend that he has sex oh, with. Oh, all right, that would do it. <laughs> like, I'm pretty convinced that's what happened. Yeah, it happens. We just talked about whether or not yeah. Fargo fucks, and it depends on what timeline <laughs> you're in at this point. Ah, uh, that sounds about right. <laughs> so, but in the episode, we're... We've picked up Hugo, uh, or we've met Hugo. He ran off. They have to go find him. They they pick him up pretty quickly. He's not exactly trying to hide from them. He's trying to, to just sort of run away and do whatever. He agrees to go with them. They stop in a uh, gas station and are just, you know, buying gas, doing hmm. normal people things. Uh, Hugo needed to uh, shed a tear, which Claudia or uh, Micah had to explain that her weird uncle used to say that yeah. when he had to take a leak. Yeah, he's saying he has to pee, and then Pete is like, "Yo, you hold it, young man." Yeah, but then they they stop in by uh, some ice cream and some Twizzlers for Micah. And as they're leaving, the uh, the gas station clerk comes out with a shotgun to do a citizen's yeah, arrest, we, um, I guess. Basically, you know, while we are in the, you know, as we see Pete and Hugo kind of walking out of the convenience store, we see on the TV that there's an APB out for agents Pete Latimer and Micah Baring. Ooh. And, right. And, uh, yeah, he comes out with a shotgun. He's, you know, doing a whole thing. Uh, there's a... <sighs> bah, bah, bah. Micah shows him her badge, and he's like, oh, that looks yeah, cause real. Yeah, because it is real. And she's like, that's and because then... it is real. And he's like, yeah, but uh, the, the Secret Service, they protect the president, and I don't see yeah, the president anywhere around here. As we've talked about before, the Secret Service has other responsibilities, and you'd think Pete and Micah would know that and be able to say that. But they don't. And, like, it right. seemed like they'd be able to say, like, uh, we're, we're instead... here checking out counterfeiting or whatever. Yeah, instead yeah, Micah just it, kicks him in the well, face. There's <laughs> a whole thing where... So when Pete picks up the thing of lemon launch earlier, the, the can of soda earlier, Artie says, don't open that. Hugo used to like to, like, basically shake up a can of soda and then give it to you. Which is... Right. Artie, that, that can is 20 years old. Like, there's no way it's still booby-trapped in any right. way that matters. It's, it's had time but, um, to chill. I mean, I think maybe Hugo in the warehouse could probably rig up something yeah, pretty to nasty. make it, you know... Not not like yeah. shaken, but like yeah, get, do some sort yeah. of practical it, joke. Uh, yeah, and so, but in this case, he rubs a nine volt battery on this can yeah, so for a little a, bit. There's a, yeah, there's a whole thing the where Pete is trying to like hey, he's like to Micah, hey, remember this earlier? I bet we could get 
I bet we could get Hugo to, like, make a soda bomb on this guy. And basically, after this whole thing... Right, but he's doing it all Yeah, and after this whole thing, like, the guy gets, like, a little wet or something, and then Mikey kicks him. Yeah, it... He just sort of, like, is distracted by this can at his feet, leaking very slightly. And Micah kicks him in the face, and they head on back to the warehouse. Hugo 1 put out the APB, yes. just so we're clear, if you're not following all- along yeah. with why this is happening. He's trying to prevent them yes. from coming back to the and, warehouse. Uh, meanwhile, at the warehouse, these are these two things kind of cut back and forth, but uh, uh, basically they're in the computer lab, they're talking about stuff. Uh, Doug says something like, this was... Okay, was this in the 70s or in the 80s? So I stopped, like... Oh, I have They keep saying no 20 years ago, but in 2010, 20 years ago was the 90s, which is not true. I want to say the 70s, given the... Okay, when was Magnum P.I. on? Ooh, I think Magnum P.I. was the 80s. Uh? Feel like... Yes, it was. It was uh, the 80s. So, it was the 80s. Let's I just looked, see. I'll just I just go looked to it up. Hugo's page. Oh. Okay. Active uh. in the 70s. Uh, Hugo on project. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Never mind. Uh, it's not... It's not revealing its secrets uh, to me All right, so quite readily. But. I'm going to say 80s, but it might very well be 70s. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, basically, Doug is like, at that point, AI was just science fiction. Well, no. Like, there were still guys in, like, the MIT AI lab. Of course, back then, AI was like, what if we taught a computer to play chess or whatever? It meant something different. But it was still, like... Right. AI yeah. like this, yes, was science fiction then just like it is in our world but probably not in the world of global dynamics slash warehouse 13 so whatever right yeah in fact uh fargo has developed one but uh, i also want to call out a claudia has this really weird jacket situation like it's a normal jacket except it only covers her chest it only goes halfway down and, like, that can be a look. I have a jacket like that. Yeah. But she wears it closed? It's very strange. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too sure on on what they were yeah. going for there. Um, also, this this whole freezing situation is referred to as the Falcon-Scott Protocol. Now, Falcon was Professor Falcon, the guy in War Games who made who did stuff with the computer. I don't know what Scott they're referring to. So they're referring to the Antarctic uh, expedition by Robert Falcon Scott, uh, who tried to reach the South Pole in a uh. race with uh, another dude, uh, and his team didn't yeah. do so hot. They did, in fact, uh. extremely cold. And I don't know if they've ever that been found. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they yeah, the subtitles say Falcon Scott, right? But I, I'm pretty yeah. sure Doug uh, says Falcon Scott and he's doing a war games reference at some point. 
Yeah, I'm not sure how Robert Falcon Scott pronounced his middle name. Well, that would explain that. We'll see if there's a hint. Uh. Ah. Nope. No idea. But yeah, he. It's in reference to some British dude who tried to find the South Pole in a hurry. Yeah, what do you Didn't do? do so hot. Uh, I guess die. And then but, they do the stuff with the Babel Stones. Yeah, and mostly. <laughs> again, Doug says something about, like, well, you know, of course he's learning. Any AI can learn. Again, not true. Like, he, he's conflating the sort of general human-emulating AI with the entire field of artificial intelligence. Yeah, which is a little weird for someone who has developed yeah. his own AI to not understand the ins and outs of that. But, you know, that's... They don't spend a whole lot of time on what Fargo's yeah. an expert of. Because he doesn't seem to be an expert of anything in Eureka. He's just really good at yeah. a lot of things. Uh, but mostly really good at pushing buttons yeah, he shouldn't. Uh, but, um... Yeah. So, then... yeah... It's mentioned that uh, they were a little shocked that Hugo One looks like uh, Hugo Miller. And uh, what's it called? Fargo just sort of says, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of programmers will, you know, develop their their AI to resemble themselves. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe this is an intentional nod to what he did in. Eureka. In the very first episode, they introduce uh, the sheriff, the main character, to his house, which is a converted uh, nuclear mm. fallout shelter. And it has an AI, uh, like, home computer, like, yeah. everything device called Sarah. And Sarah is voiced by Fargo pretending to uh, yeah. do a woman's voice. <laughs> uh yeah and the cadence of it sure made it sound like it was the cadence of it sure made it sound like it was you know referring to something he had done yeah because he's like a, a lot of programmers will do that <laughs> not me though <laughs> like ah <laughs> uh, but anyways uh and they are looking at hugo's file they find out he collapsed from something while he was uh, in a certain place in the warehouse, they go there and they find. Uh, were, a yeah, pretty they find spinny uh, thing. Werthemer's zoetrope? Uh, yeah, Max Werthemer's zoetrope. Maximum Werthemer. You know how you need more Werthemer? Well, good news. Uh. <laughs> One of the founders of Gestalt Psychology, uh, born in Prague, did research in Germany, relocated to the U.S. with the rise of Nazism, uh, only published one book. Yeah, and, yeah, blah, blah. And uh, his zoetrope does mind transferal. And... Right, and this is demonstrated by... Uh, Fargo spinning it and 
Claudia tries to stop him and places her hand on his shoulder, and suddenly his entire life flashes mm -hmm. before her eyes. So, worth noting, in-universe in Eureka, it is... Time travel research is one of the only things that's illegal enough for it to actually be a problem. Like, they do illegal things all of the time, but, like, time travel's sense. a big deal. And so, all of the people who did the uh, time travel trip have to keep it a secret because they'll just be put to oh, death that, otherwise. That would explain that. I was kind of wondering, like, why can't they tell anyone about the time travel that happened? That makes sense. Yeah, and so uh, now the people who know it includes all of the people who went, the guy who came back from the past with them, and yeah. Claudia Donovan. Like, because presumably she saw that time that he time-traveled back to, uh... Yeah. Whenever. And he never, like, takes her aside, like, hey, if you saw that one thing, yeah, like, it, you gotta keep that under wraps. Maybe it happens off-screen, <laughs> but, yeah, we just... Eh, what are you gonna do? I, I assume because they didn't want to, like... It wouldn't... Yeah, it, it because, didn't like... It very well in Because if you're scenes. just watching Warehouse 13, you don't know about the time-travel thing, really. And if you're watching, and if right. you're watching, uh, uh, Eureka, you don't really need to know about the mind zappy thing. Right. Yeah, so it's one of those little things that, like, I mean, presumably, Claudia never had a reason to bring it up, and most of the people she interacted with in town were aware of the situation, because... Nearly everyone she interacted with were the extremely small group of people who uh, yeah, know what happened. But yeah, it's a little concerning because it's a secret that they are very careful to keep. But yeah, so she eventually snatches it out of his hand and they bring it back to the computer lab where Artie was trying to buy them time by playing Battleship with Hugo. Hugo yes. won. But Hugo... Ho Hugo, however, did not win. He, uh, well, there, there's some stuff before this where, um, basically, as soon as they get the zoetrope, Hugo sent Hugo AI sends uh, the Maras, which are little spider robots that Doug invented that do automated repair stuff. After them, right? And yeah, they're maintenance and repair yeah. automatons. Or maybe murder yeah. and repair a Tom. They do try to kill because, Pete. Because, like, they certainly seem yeah. pretty capable. They sure do try to kill Pete. Um. Yeah, as we've already talked about, most of GD is involved in weapons development. So if you want to get funding, you're probably weaponizing your, uh, your devices yeah. one way or another. So it's unsurprising that these uh, little robot drones are capable of... Uh, flamethrowering and yeah. they have like saw blades that they can produce yeah. and uh there's also a thing where already where claudia and doug are hiding in some kind of box from hugo and then whatever is in the box is waking up and it's never really like told what's going on right 
whatever it is, you're not supposed yeah. to say the name of it. And I'm shocked it's not in the list of featured artifacts and... Or no. Uh, effects unknown, but when Claudia and Fargo hid in its container, it angrily growled growled when Fargo almost said its name. It is, according to the uh, Warehouse 13 wiki, it is Rumpelstiltskin. Okay, fair enough. Like, maybe I don't know enough about what the hell Rumpelstiltskin is actually all about, but I didn't think they keep I him mean, in a box. When it's... Like I, Oops. I didn't need to navigate to Rumpelstiltskin.com. Uh... Also, also, there was a scene where, um, uh, basically, Doug at has his, like, laser cutter gun that I, I think is what Claudia got, oh, yeah, got for him out of the hole earlier or something like that. And, uh, basically, right. can they put Benjamin Franklin's ring on it, it turns into a lightsaber. Uh, Fargo Star Wars kids the heck out of this, uh, Mara and. Yeah, they, I think they kiss after that. Yeah, they do. Uh, this is a uh, a dream fulfilled for uh, Fargo, getting to wield a lightsaber. And mm -hmm. he's very excited about it. Yeah, because they combined uh, Ben Franklin's ring, which amplifies bioelectricity or whatever, but they use it to amplify mm -hmm. lasers instead. And that laser turns into a lightsaber. Happy ending, really. Yeah, and uh, they kiss, and Claudia's like, I yeah. like Todd. Because apparently while kissing Fargo, she was thinking yeah. about Todd. It's, it's very and sort of... It's her trying to say, is, like, there's nothing going on between us, I, I guess. Yeah, she's, like, pumping the brakes in yeah, a kind of freaked out reasonable. sort of way. Because she's apparently, like, really bad about impulsively kissing people. I guess so. It's, it seems like it happens a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is a new character trait, but it's happening alarmingly frequently. Like, how does she go about her daily life? Yeah, what? <laughs> well, you know what it is. It's The writers find it hard to, like, sell intimacy or, like... They don't trust you to understand that these characters are at least trying to have feelings for each other. Right, yeah, they didn't yeah. want to make it subtle. Yeah, so, uh, that happens, uh, Claudia's like, we cool, right? Like, we're cool, right? And then walks away, and Fargo's just like, this is why Jedi turn to the dark side. <laughs> This is what is. I guess I don't know a lot about Star Wars, but I, I'm I'm led to believe that you become a bad guy in the Star Wars universe for reasons beyond, including but not limited to no pussy. Yeah, like Doug's really out here saying this is what zero pussy does to a motherfucker. Um. Uh, yeah, but uh. Yeah, a little concerning the underlying yeah. messaging there, but yeah. uh, let's and not dwell on it. Incel Doug is a story for another time. Uh, right. And then. 
They make like an entire uh, an entire show about it called Eureka. About how this man doesn't fuck. Ah. Uh, <laughs> right, except like except twice. for the twice times he did. Uh, Each mm-hmm. in different timelines. <laughs> right, any- anyways, he uh Pete and Micah show up at the warehouse. They uh Pete and Micah show up at the warehouse with Hugo, but one of those eyeballs is shooting at him. And uh also, as Artie is playing Battleship against Hugo One, there's this whole thing where Artie says something like, See? Uh I I won by cheating, and Hugo always cheated, but you didn't. Like Artie Right. You're clearly not uh <sighs> Yeah. Artie has kind yeah, of worked Ar- Ar- out what's going on. It's a fragment yeah. of Hugo and Miller. Artie is, um... What's the way to put this? Artie, uh... He didn't put his battleships on the board? <laughs> right, so he yeah. just keeps saying miss. And, like, you see a, glim- a glimpse of Hugo's board, and it's just white pegs in a grid, like, every yeah. other square. So that it's impossible for him to have not hit yeah. any ships at this point. Ah. Uh. And he says that, and he's like, oh, it's very possible. I didn't put yeah. any of my ships on the board. And he's like, well, you know, whenever I would play against Hugo, he'd always cheat. But you didn't cheat, and in fact, you... And the idea that I would did not occur to you. Therefore, you're just the analytical part of Hugo. Not the whimsical, fun part who would always cheat at Battleship. Right, and so he basically convinces Hugo one that he needs the rest of Hugo's mind in order to do what he is constructed yeah, to do. Yeah, and protect Hugo the one accepts this, but as we will, he accepts this and he lets Pete, Mike, and, and human Hugo into the warehouse. But as but right because he locked them out because the computer system can change the locks which, on the door. Why did Fargo, with blue-level clearance, get to muck around well, with Well, that this? part at least kind of makes sense. Like, if you work at any sort of reasonably-sized oh, yeah. company, like, if you're fired, they lock your badge out. Or, But, uh, right. there, there is a scene where, like, he's like, Oh, the computers went and betrayed us. I knew this would happen. Next thing you know, we'll be in human breeding camps wearing fur bikinis. Which I don't really right. know what he means by that. I think he's making a reference to Planet of the Apes, maybe? I guess? That maybe that that's kind of what I thought. I, I don't know. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's a movie yes. reference. That is what it struck me as as well. Maybe there's something more like directly related like that. Like, where the technology takes over and makes yeah, people and do that. Yeah, it's also just, like, certainly a thing that sounds like it could happen in a movie. Yeah, it, it, I'm yeah. certain it's a movie. I don't know for certain which it, one, but it I sure am certain it's a movie. It sure does seem like a Planet of the Apes type situation, but regardless, Bika tells him he's being ridiculous, and they can go in, and blah blah blah, left brain, right brain nonsense, and then... Basically, they take Hugo to the computer lab, human Hugo to the computer lab, and they are going to use the com- and they're going to use the zoetrope to upload the rest of him into the computer. And there's this really 
Pete's yeah. really not and there's about this. There's this really funny scene where like there's Claudia just plugs the ribbon cable into the zoetrope. Like it just has a hole for this, I guess. Oh, yeah. Which I I mean, yeah, Hugo yeah. had to use it once before. It makes sense. It's probably a, an aftermarket modification. It's just very funny to see her like doing this. Right. Uh But uh long story short, they uh they are gonna put his brain in the computer, then they reverse the process and take Hugo out of the computer and put him in the guy. Frankly, I think they should have uploaded his brain into the computer because as computer Hugo said, like the flesh is temporary. Uh human Hugo is not going to live very much longer. He's an old man in this. Yeah, and this was human Hugo's intention back in the 70s or 80s. He yeah, wanted like, this to happen. The, he planned on putting his whole yeah, brain so in the computer. I guess once they get him out of the computer, he doesn't say like, hey, put me back, or whatever. So I guess it's fine, whatever. Right. Um, but long story short, everything's fine, happy ending. Uh, Doug invites Claudia to come to Eureka, and the end? I also noted that the way they uh, reversed the process, like, they waited for the computer to uh, essentially yeah, reboot as they, they were uploading for it to be his consciousness. They, they waited for the computer to be consuming all of its processing power doing the brain transferal, pretty much. Right, and so during that time, Claudia hacks in, and then they just reverse the yeah, uh, spin on the zoetrope, yeah, they just... which I have I have noted here as uh, de-bimboifying uh, him. <laughs> uh, and then there's also a thing where uh, they have to, in order to crack the code, they have to guess the name of his cat. Right. Which Pete had learned in the gas station because there was an, an orange cat planter with a plant growing yeah. out of it. And uh, Hugo said, Albert grows yeah. things. And so Pete was the only one who knew the name of the cat, even though Artie knew the actual cat. He thought that the name yeah. was Orange. I'll be honest, I kind of thought Garfield, but yeah, that's maybe a little too on the nose. Right. Also, might be copy. Well, uh, yeah. well after the president, whatever, of course, trademarks as he said er things. as he said earlier in the right. the episode. But um, regardless, uh, they fix them up, and then we're good, folks. Yeah, we have the conversation uh, about Pete being bad at rock paper scissors. Hugo decides to run off and join yeah. GD. Uh. Spoiler, we never meet him, we never see him at GD after he's joined up there. Yeah, we don't even see him in the Eureka episode. Like, right. Yeah, and we don't see him in any subsequent yeah. episodes after either. Uh, yeah. Claudia can finally reach out to Todd, who she had to bail on uh, lunch with, and they meet up, and she's like, I I've done a lot of thinking. I, uh, I, and Todd's just like, mm -hmm. I think we should break up. Where Claudia was there to tell him, 
oh wow i really actually care a lot about you i've been like all nonchalant about it but like no i kissed another dude and realized i actually am really into you yeah so that's a that's a weird direction for that to go but uh presumably we'll see more of this yeah we'll we'll be talking about this again makes sense so that's our episode well that was fun it's a shame we have another episode to talk about. One look at her, I get irrational. Well, she ties my tongue, I saw her downtown on a cloudy day. And she brought the sun, she's not a part of the scene, she don't socialize. Of her time, just the right speed. She is staggering. I couldn't stand up, I couldn't sit down. One look at her and I stumble around. She is staggering. She is staggering.